Dun, dun, dun. It's Hayden Donnell with Midweek Media Watch. Kia ora. Kia ora. You're back. I am. Gosh, it sort of says something. It's, it's really great to see somebody... Uh, live in the studio. <laughs> Has it not happened very often? I might. Am first I the time first? In months. Okay. Yep. Well, months. I'm very sorry that it was me. No, oh, glad to see you. And you want to start by paying tribute to the reporters doing what you've called their most solemn duty. That's right. When people are asked to name the most important role of journalism, they'll often say something like holding power to account or informing people about what's going on in society. But in my view, the most important job that journalists do is standing outside in big storms and telling us how cold and wet they are. (laughs) There's no prouder journalistic tradition than getting a raincoat on, trudging out into a hurricane-force gale in defiance of all common sense and government safety advice. And these last few weeks have really been a bonanza for this type of broadcast journalism with uh, storms and flooding along the West Coast and in Nelson. And I just wanted to highlight the work of some of the best practitioners in this field. (laughs) Okay, Who do you have in mind? So there are some really great wild weather reporters in New Zealand. I don't want to seem like I'm playing favourites. Thomas Mead on One News springs to mind as someone, he, he, if he sees snow, he's in it. You know, he's always in the snow. He's, he's, he likes to get profoundly cold. Uh, his colleague, his colleague Abby Wakefield, also really good. But the reporter that I've had my eye on for, for a little while in this area is Kaylee Callahan of News Hub. And I first highlighted him back in July last year when he earned this compliment from Mike McRoberts after an obviously difficult live cross and a battering Wellington wind. Uh, emergency accommodation available if that is needed. Now, these weather warnings, they're in place until at least midday tomorrow. There's nothing else that authorities can really do apart from hunker down and wait it out tonight. Well done, Kayleigh. Thank you. <laughs> Keen as a bean. You couldn't see him there, but he was quite obviously blowing around. But it, it, it was absolutely no accident that he did well there. He's been training for these moments. He's been out in every low-pressure system that's brushed New Zealand's shores in the last few years. Cyclones, storm surges, hurricane-force winds, lashing rain. Through it all, he's cut a stoic, obviously incredibly wet and cold and miserable figure. And this past week has been no different. Here's a clip of AM host Laura Tupo reacting to the sight of him standing outside in Westport a week ago. New sub reporters Leighton Haeckel and Kayleigh Callahan are out in the field. Let's check in with them now. There we are. Goodness, goodness gracious, very wet out there. You can imagine how that looked. It was it was a, a very sad sight. So that was her exclaiming at a very bedraggled and sopping Kayleigh Callahan. And I mean, that same night he was out again in the rain to do a live cross with Mike Roberts, and. I, I just want to pay tribute here because, I mean, News Hub will be praying he doesn't start researching our occupational health and safety laws because by now he has enough ammunition to bankrupt that company. Uh, but I would like to bestow him with the coveted Midweek Media Watch Award for outstanding achievements in experiential weather testing. So congratulations. <laughs> what are their raincoats like? They're all nice branded They look up, really they? good. They look really good. And so that's one thing that I take heart at when I see them out there. Well, Hayden, of course, the serious side of this is that these floods have been devastating for so many people. Did you have any other observations on the media coverage besides these stoic efforts of Callaghan and company? Yeah, one thing that I keep coming back to is that the media has been doing a bit better in linking these events to climate change, and they did so with the heat wave in the UK last month. Uh, so here's an example of that. It's Victoria University weather and climate researcher Professor James Renwick on News Hub's AM. 
Those were just outstanding pictures, weren't they? All of those houses on fire mm. in the UK. It's just something that we haven't really seen before. What is going on? Well, you're right. It's really shocking and, and quite amazing to see some of the images from the UK and Europe lately. Uh, what's going on is global warming. Now, Remwick went on to expand on that, saying that climate change has made these atmospheric events like heat waves more frequent and intense. Same goes for Nelson and Westport, these flooding events, these more intense extreme weather events. And one of the best reporters on climate in recent years, I want to say, is NZME's Jamie Morton, who on the weekend won the Voyager for Best Science Journalism. And that was well-deserved and rightly heralded by NZME. But at that same company that that hosts Jamie Morton, all of his excellent work on climate, that's the same company that puts out a podcast where you can hear stuff like this. To think that CO2 is responsible for climate change slash global warming is to turn one's mind against the fundamental integrity of the molecule. It's the antithesis of science and should be classed along with witchcraft and mumbo-jumbo. That's Leighton Smith quoting from an article that was inspiring him at the time. Well, that's par for the course from Leighton Smith, surely. Yeah, exactly. He's been doing it for decades, right? I mean, he's, it's no, no big news that Leighton Smith is beating the climate denial drum. And it's worth noting that NZME no longer puts out his sort of thoughts about it to hundreds of thousands of people every day on News Talk. But a quick look through the NZ podcast rankings will show that his show uh, still gets a really decent audience. And it's just also something that NZME is still quite happy to put its brand name to. Uh, There was a recent News Talk ZB promo that featured Smith saying a quote like that, rubbish in climate science, and it was followed by a sting saying, this podcast is brought to you by NZME. So this feels particularly on the nose as we see more and more events like Westport. Westport feels like it's been flooded about 15 times in the last year. Anyway, I mean, more and more evidence of the effects of climate change around us actually happening. Isn't it part of the media's job, though, Hayden, to to host the conversation, I guess, to have the debate, or have we had it? Well, that's that's right, right? Uh, That's what people will always say, well, you can't just be blinkered in your perspective. But there's a line there, and media companies choose where to draw it. So most media companies now will no longer have the debate over unfettered racism like they used to, or whether gay people deserve rights. They don't host flat earthers. They try not to platform anti-vaxxers. Responsible news organisations have decided that giving a loud microphone to some opinions makes them look less than responsible, and sometimes even... Reckless, And so stuff has drawn that line before climate denial. It's said, the science is settled. It won't host stuff like you hear on the Leighton Smith podcast. Obviously, their biggest rival hasn't taken the same moral stance on that one. Maybe they don't listen to it before they actually publish it. That could be the, the reason why. But, I wouldn't want to speculate. But the biggest, bigger question is, are we trying to censor voices here? Yeah, and that's the accusation when you say, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't platform that. But if that's censorship, then news organisations are making decisions on who to censor every single day. They make editorial decisions on what to put in the paper, what not to put in the paper. And on that, I just keep going back to NZME, CEO Michael Boggs' letter to New Zealand back at the start of the pandemic in March 2020. It said, in troubled times, we are relied upon more than ever. It's vital New Zealanders have access to information they can trust and have confidence in. And he added that NZME's commitment to all New Zealanders is that we will maintain the highest journalistic standards. And that's a big promise and a good one. And he was talking about COVID. But much of that still applies to climate. 
We have Kaylee Callahan standing out in a so-called one in one hundred year storm virtually every other week these days. I'm not sure even the bit how much the best raincoat can take. I worry about News Hub's raincoat bill, and I mean essentially this is a crisis even bigger than COVID in the longer term, right? And that carries extra weight when it comes to something where there's lives on the line, you probably shouldn't be dishing out misinformation on the biggest story of the world to 50,000 people if you're a trusted brand and a trusted media company. In predictable news, Gaurav Sharma expelled by the Labour Party on Tuesday. Has there been debate about how the media handled its coverage of this one? Yeah, there has been some, obviously mainly from Labour allies, as you'd expect. So on 9 to noon, commentator, I think former Chief of Staff in the Prime Minister's office, Neil Jones, had this to say. I think the media coverage of this whole episode has been pretty shameful. Um, There was a time when extraordinary allegations required, if not extraordinary evidence, at least some evidence. He's an elected MP. Yes. When an elected MP makes allegations, that is news. Of course they're newsworthy, but there has been, I think, an unseemly rush to publish allegations without any actual checking of them. Now, Neil Jones went on to contrast the story with how Sam Uffendale's high school violence was reported. So in that case, Stuff's Kirsty Johnston stood up what took place with five different witnesses and put the story to the company's in-house legal team before publishing, uh, whereas this one was broken in an, in an opinion column in the Herald by Sharma himself. But you must have heard there in that clip Catherine Ryan pushing back pretty strongly against what he has to say. But isn't Catherine Ryan right? Because what media outlet would turn down a story like that? Yeah, I, and I think so. I think... An MP from the sitting government with an op-ed calling out what he thinks is a bullying culture inside his caucus. So few news organisations are going to turn down the opportunity to publish that. And the ones that do probably aren't doing their jobs all that well. And I understand, though, that that is frustrating for people in Labour that uh, Schirmer has been allowed to make these accusations without presenting definitive evidence for them. But the fact that he's able to do that is because there's public interest in what he says. And that public interest was gifted to him by Labour. So, I mean, if they hadn't selected him as their candidate for for Hamilton West, uh, uh, then he wouldn't have this platform if the party faithful believe that they have selected someone who's untrustworthy, then they could direct some of that frustration at their own selection processes, just as they did when National, uh, with with National, when the Sam Uffendale scandal broke. So I, I think the overarching point that Jones made is right, that the duty to really apply the blowtorch to Schirmer's extraordinary claims once he's made them. And that's fair enough, right? I mean, on that, the results have been pretty mixed. In the early days, you know, you had him up on News Hub at six without too much in the way of cross-examination. In recent days, though, that has definitely turned. So uh, reporters have really started interrogating his claims to have hundreds of pages of so-called evidence of bullying. So here's Lisa Owen on Checkpoint. Dr. Sharma, you have repeatedly said that you are happy to provide the evidence. We asked you to do that today, and you have declined to provide it to us. That's not true, so you're you're, uh, quoting it wrong. Sharma went on to say that a checkpoint reporter could book an appointment with him to sit down and go through the evidence in person, but he refused to give it out on the programme, as you heard. And checkpoint viewers... (laughs) I just thought this was really brutal. They were less than impressed with him over that. So here's some listener feedback on Checkpoint. 
Let's get to some of your feedback. It's flooding in on the issue of Gaurav Sharma being expelled from the Labour Party caucus. This listener says, why are you giving Sharma so much time? Control freak, megalomaniac, and always wants the last word. Time waster. Tell us what you really think. The deluge continued. Someone else says he's showing no evidence and just sounds more and more like a petulant toddler. Uh, Lisa, he should do the honourable thing and either seek endorsement through a by-election or resign, says Dean from Waipukuro. Uh, and this person says Mr Sharma seems to waffle and accuse with little or no evidence. Defensive rehas staff problems, says Sue. And another person says the thing that strikes me about Sharma is that he has no self-reflection. I haven't heard a more brutal you know, succession of <laughs> listener feedback than that. Did you get freaked out when you heard those those pips, by the way, the the beeps there? I thought, oh, the news is coming, I instinctively. No, I, I know what time it is. It's <laughs> 10 to 11. You're, you're better than me. So, <laughs> Gordo Shermer, he, he may or may not have been bullied by the Labour Party, but he definitely has been bullied by the listeners of Checkpoint. Well, how big a problem is it, though, that he's not presenting evidence given his allegations on their own and newsworthy enough? Yeah, I don't think it's that big. Uh, it wouldn't be that big of a problem if he was just turning the blowtorch on his own government. That would be one thing. But the point where this needs care, I think, is that he has been able to frame himself as the victim here, where there are allegations that he has actually been the perpetrator of bullying. Uh, he has been able to use the public interest in his position, his cause, and his complaints against the government to bolster his case against what are some alleged victims in his workplace. And so that's where I really have some concerns because those people didn't ask for their complaints to be dragged into a national news story. And and they are possibly sitting at home seeing the person that they really resent painting himself as a victim with no right of reply, and they don't have the same platform. Well, he's gone now, so is that the end of the story? Possibly not. So one of the things that he raised was a text from Kiri Tapu Allen, uh, then Minister of Conservation, urging her backbencher MPs to have a chat with her because any correspondence, written correspondence, could be accessible under the OIA. And that didn't cause too many political ripples at first. Uh, here's National's Nicola Willis talking about it on RNZ's First Up. It's important that ministers abide by that law. Equally, it's been the practice over successive governments that backbenchers use all means possible to communicate their views with ministers. And typically, a phone call or a conversation is one of the more persuasive ways of doing that. Now, by the afternoon, National had soured a lot on the issue. This is Paul Goldsmith in Parliament. Has she written to the chief ombudsman to give him the assurances he sought about the training given to Labour MPs on dealing with the OIA, or did she feel it was safer just to ring him? Now, the ombudsman had um, asked Labour to please explain its stance on the OIA after their MPs' allegations against them, and that was pretty cheeky from Paul Goldsmith. I mean, it is good to see National holding Labour's feet to the fire on its performance on the OIA, but I, I do hope that its passion for open government is uh, still in place when it's next in office. Does he have a point that the text message does seem suspect? From uh, Kitty Allen, 
on, see, on a human level, you can see why you'd want to chat informally about something rather than have it play out in documents that are released under the OIA, possibly to your political opponents or enemies or something like that. I can see that. On a journalistic one, it looks pretty bad. I mean, as some have pointed out, informal chats should actually be able to be accessed under the OIA. It's just that doesn't happen in practice because government ministers can deny they ever had them and conveniently failed to remember the content of those chats. So if this story does have a life, it could be and some continued attention on the government's handling of the OIA. And that may not be as interesting to people as as the major story about this fallout from uh, Gaurav Shermer, but it's, it's, it's both important and an issue that frustrates journalists on a, a daily basis. So there's nothing like a personal grievance to keep you on the case of a story. When you say informal chats should be recounted, uh, you're supposed to make notes of them and have them available for the Official Information Act. I think that you should at least be able to release bullet points of of what you've actually talked about. They are meant to be accessible under the Official Information Act, I am assured. Really? Well, well, thank you very much, Hayden. Thanks for that, and good to see you in the studio, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time, no doubt. Thank you, Karen. We hope.